You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. My partner, Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach, color analyst with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Jeff Phelps. Mike is in parts unknown. Where might you be today, Michael? I am on the West Coast in Los Angeles, getting ready for tomorrow's 1 p.m. tip-off of Washington at L.A. Clippers. Got done with Last night's Phoenix game was, which was one of the low points in the season for the Clippers as six of their best players sat out last night, mm. which does not make it a good situation for the head coach trying to figure out how am I going to win this basketball game? But it is what it is. They were down 33, cut it back to 14. Oh. And then unfortunately... Gave up a few more buckets at the end. So they move on to the game against Washington tomorrow. Well, welcome to the NBA today. Uh, that'll that'll be fun. Cavaliers starting a six-game homestand. And it's Indiana, Dallas, Utah, Milwaukee, Toronto, Brooklyn. Opened up against Indiana last night, Mike. And the Cavaliers looked toast. They were down by 13 points, nine minutes to go. And then they put together a 28-9 to run to close out the game. Terrific way to start the homestand, 28 to 9 to close it out after being down by 13. Donovan Mitchell, the guy who won this game, 23 points through three quarters, Mike. He had 18 points in the fourth quarter. You've talked about when you need a bucket, when you need those moments, it's great to have a guy who you know who can do that for you. Donovan Mitchell put that on full display at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. And another performance, Jeff, where the Cleveland backcourt goes for 60 or more points combined. Uh, And that's going to be perhaps the recipe for the rest of the way that that backcourt is going to be something that every team will talk about having to deal with. What are we going to do with Cleveland's backcourt? Uh, The combination of Garland, whose willingness to share the basketball, find open teammates, and ability to make shots from behind a three-point line along with the dynamic play of Donovan Mitchell, night in and night out, you're going to have to figure that out. And then if teams try to compensate and do a little bit more against that backcourt, then you should have openings on the inside for people like Mobley and Allen and whoever the small forward might be on the floor at that time. Should you be concerned about that, Mike? You know, you love the fact, and and Garland against the Pacers had 20, so there's 61 points right there, and the team scored 118. Is that a great thing? Is it a concern? Is it it too much in the backcourt, or is that okay that that can become your identity and that that's what teams have to deal with on a nightly basis? It's who your team is, Jeff. It's how this team was constructed, how it was put together, And therefore, the coach's job is to play to the strengths of this basketball team. You come out, some guys have dominant front lines, and you have to deal with them. 
Others have great backcourts like the Cavs do. You have to figure out what are we going to do with these two all-star guards in the backcourt. Our guards on our team aren't as good as those two guards. Mm. So what do you do to try and contain them? Do you make concessions elsewhere? And those are the nights that you need. Allen stepping up, Mobley stepping up, Love coming in, doing his job. And whoever it might be, Osman, like it was in the game last night, that has a big night for you. Or could it be Stevens or Coral, whoever it might be, stepping up to do their job? Mike, I thought one of the really interesting things to watch going into the season, how would Donovan Mitchell mix in? You know, would it be a gradual thing where, because clearly you don't give up everything the Cavs gave up to get him and not have him be the guy. But would it be... You know, okay, it's a mutual thing. And, and though he and Darius Garland have played well together, it's real clear Donovan Mitchell is the guy right now. And it's happened really quickly. And it seems like it's happened real seamlessly, Mike. No issues at all. And it's working beautifully and, and working for everybody, which might be the most important thing. How, how has that happened so seamlessly? Is it on Mitchell? Did the coaches do it? Did the other players do it? Because I, I would think it would be a challenge. And it might be sometimes a situation where a lot of folks would have to tread lightly in that situation, Mike, but it doesn't seem like it's played out that way at all. Well, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot in a second, okay? Because oh, you've good. been around with the Cavs uh, longer than I have. And here's my question to you. Let's go back in order and try and figure out along the way. Donovan Mitchell is the man right now. And yep. Garland was more than willing to concede the fact that this is my runner mate, this is my partner, but he is Donovan Mitchell, who is at another level in this game right now, and I am an all-star who's trying to contribute to this. But before this, who was the last man of the Cavaliers? Was it LeBron James that was the last person that was the man? Before LeBron, who was it then? Let's go back to when I came in. I don't know if there was a man with the team that had Darty, Nance, Price. I'm not sure any one of those guys, you know, Hot Rod Williams, were any one of those head and shoulders above the other as far as trying to step forward and assume the role of I'm the guy on this team. Name some of the guys over the past years, Jeff, you covering the Cavaliers as long as you have. Who have been some of the guys along the way that we should remember? You know, Mike, it, it's interesting you say that because I don't think there have been too many. You know, if you go back to the beginning of, of the franchise, you know, Bill Fitch played two lines, basically. Right? It was kind of like a hockey thing. And Austin Carr was drafted as the number one guy overall. But Austin played his role like everybody else played their role. So I don't, I don't know if there was anybody there. World Be Free was the man. When, when he came to this team. And I would say world fits that category. And then you tell me, because you coached him, would Sean Kemp have been the man once he came here and he was leading a young bunch of Cavaliers that, that he and you led to the playoffs? You know, when who Brevin Knight, Cedric Henderson, and Zadrunas and Derek Anderson, that group of guys, and Sean Kemp was at least from a veteran standpoint and guy with a resume, was he the man? Because I, I would think it'd be world be free, Sean Kemp, LeBron and Donovan Mitchell. And that's about the only four guys, maybe Mike in franchise history who you knew 
that is the guy you have to stop each and every night. Well, I, I think without question, uh, I would agree with you. And that's why I actually asked the question because I was trying to think back of how many guys over the, the years of the Cavaliers would we say stood out and the teammates would say, that was our guy. So yeah. to answer the question about Sean, yes, clearly. Zydrunas Hilgauskas wasn't ready at time, that time to be the man. The rookies weren't ready, obviously, to be the man. Reverend Knight, Cedric, and Derek, um, you know, stepping in, Zydrunas being the, the fourth one of that rookie group. So, yeah, it's been a limited number of people that you could give the title to of being the man for the franchise that stood out, that everybody kind of deferred to during the time they were on the team. And it was easier. Let me ask this. Did, did Kyrie ever have a chance to be the man or not before LeBron came? You know what? I, I don't think so, Mike. And I say that only because of his youth. You know, he was a young guy trying to find his way. I thought he was, you know, this close. Because remember, he he signed the contract to stick around, thinking, I, I think, that he, A, you get paid. But B, I think he thought, okay, I'm going to be the guy on this team. This is going to be my team. I'm going to be the leader on this team. And then LeBron comes back. And that changed that thing completely there. So I think he was really close. If LeBron hadn't come back, I think he would have been the guy on this team. Instead, and maybe this is right, maybe it isn't. He was what Darius Garland is now to Donovan Mitchell which is a supreme basketball player, top-notch, but clearly the other guy has you a little bit. And if they can make that work now, I think like Kyrie and LeBron made it work. And I, I say credit to Kyrie on that and then credit to LeBron too. But Kyrie, I think, had to change his mentality because I think he was ready to go. And so if Darius can do the same thing Kyrie did, credit to him, No. I agree, and, and I'll give you an example of what I think might be the other side of that, where we're talking about ones who are willing to try and make it work together, as we see right now with Donovan and Darius. How about that old OKC group? Oh, yeah. Remember, they had they had a couple guys who weren't bad on the team, like Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and there was a guy who now has a very long beard that's playing in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was on that team also, James Harden. Think about that group yeah. and the dynamics that you're dealing with there if you're coaching that team. I always wondered how that didn't work. But do you think anything happened with the Cavs, Mike, or was it just natural that Donovan, with his personality, because, I mean, he he came here to fit in, and yet lead, and he's pulled that off, and everybody else has been very supportive while stu still doing what they've been asked to do, and it's worked really well so far. Well, let's all be honest and, and understand that Donovan is a student of the game. Donovan, being in Salt Lake City, was understanding that Cleveland's doing something different, and this is the last season I'm talking about, when Cleveland started out with the big front line that Nobody does anymore in basketball. Right. And all of a sudden they're winning and they're the talk of the NBA. And now here he is going to Cleveland to join that group. So being the person he is, 
he's not one of those stars that needs to beat his own drum to make everybody look at him or acknowledge the fact that he's a great player. He does it with his play. And coming here, I'm sure there was a little bit on his part of thinking about, look, I don't want to ruin this thing because they got off to a pretty good start without me last year. Yeah. Let me come in and see what I could do to help this team become better than they were last year and show them what I'm really all about. People in the Eastern Conference may not have understood how good Donovan Mitchell really was. I had a little bit of sneak preview because of the number of Clipper games I had done. Uh, but this is a special level player, and that's why Kobe Altman, the front office, were willing to give up what they gave up. And nobody is saying, oh, the Cavs got the best of that deal. No, both teams did well. Yeah. Markkanen's playing terrific. And for Utah, Utah's winning a lot of games that nobody thought they were going to win. The Cavaliers are doing well with Donovan Mitchell. So that's a good trade. Both teams are happy. Both teams made out well. And you go from there. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps, my partner, Mike Fratello. Mike, I need your help here. We're going to play a new game. I can't wait. It's it's ready? Should yeah, I'm Jeff ready. Be, ready to go. Jeff, be concerned. And you're going to tell me if I should be concerned because I have some concerns. And is I'm like not a, sure if they're legit. Like Jeff, is it like a dinner available for the winner of this thing? If I, if no, I win, no, there's no dinner. Oh, okay. No, there's there's no dinner. You're just going to help me have peace of mind. And okay, I thank you for that. Peace of mind. <laughs> We're going to start with this. Do you remember at the beginning of the season, the Cavs were nailing the three-point shot like crazy. I, I've, I've picked up a tendency, Mike. I'm so concerned. I can't believe it. In October, the Cavs shot 42.7% on threes. They had the second best shooting month in the NBA on threes. In November, it dropped from 42.7 to 36.8. Still 11th best percentage in the NBA. I thought, okay. But Mike, I'm, I'm getting worried. I'm getting concerned. In December, so far, before the Pacer game, 31% on threes, 26th in the NBA. Mike, the three's a weapon in the NBA today. You have to shoot threes. You have to shoot them well. The Cavs have dropped from 42.7% to 31. I'm really worried. Should I be? Yes and no. There, oh, there, come there. on. Now I'm well, all perplexed well, and worried. Let me explain the answer, okay? Um, the beginning part, the 42% part, do you remember the Cavaliers' record, Jeff, early on in the season? Like after the first 10 to 15 games, what was their record? Actually, then? I wrote it down here. When they were making all those threes, now this was in October, they were 5-1, and one, but they were eventually 8-1 and one after losing the opener and then winning eight straight. Okay, so do you think by any chance that opposing coaches may have said, the Cavaliers are winning a lot of games because, and then you fill in the blank. They yeah. make three-point shots every night. So, therefore, to have a chance against them, you have to adjust your defense and take away the three-point shots, force them to put the ball on the floor, force them to attack the basket, okay. but don't give them that extra point every shot. So, there's that part of it. Then, as you get to the middle section where they went down from the 42 mark to their next level, now is when perhaps the schedule changes. Perhaps you have more road games. You're not shooting in the same confines of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Okay. And also injuries start to sit in 
and you start to lose guys, like guys like Kevin Love, who may break their thumb and aren't shooting it exactly the same way they did in the beginning of the season. So all of that has to play into effect. But I would think, uh, besides the injury factor, which can be devastating to so many teams, I think the part about people adjusting and try to run you off the line rather than settle for you taking shots. And that's not only in the half court, Jeff, that's in transition as well. Meaning push out, push up, find them earlier to not let them come down and get those early threes off the dribble or after the first pass. That's all part of what's brought their three point percentage down. Okay. So I shouldn't worry. It's going to be okay on that. That's why I said, you know, a little bit of both, you know, worry, you want to see it go back up again, but don't panic. Okay. Okay. All right. I feel better. Um, You mentioned Kevin Love. He has that fracture in his thumb. It happened on November 18th against Charlotte. Now this was before the Indiana game and Kevin against Indiana had six points. He did make two or four shots, but since then he had played in, only six of the next 14 games, he missed eight. And in the six games Kevin played before, after that thumb injury, Mike, averaging 4.7 points, shooting just 32%, just 22% on threes. Mike, I need Kevin coming off the bench and playing like Kevin Love, like he did last year coming off the bench. And if that doesn't happen, this team's not going to keep going. I'm really worried. Should I be worried? Gosh, you're asking me these tough questions. So first That's of all, why we're here. So first of all, I want you to understand. That yeah, I went out and got this. I went out and got this finger cast. Yeah, with Kevin. I want yeah. him to put it on his thumb and get it better quickly. Okay, so he can wear that while he's trying to shoot the ball. Okay, it's something special that I have for him. Very have nice you ever you. tried to shoot a basketball in an NBA game with a broken thumb? It's well, not. The easiest thing yeah, in the world. I'd imagine. And, and perhaps the thumb gets hit a couple times going after a rebound, which doesn't make it feel the best. So we can't expect him to be shooting the ball as well as he did with the broken thumb. The good news is he's willing to play with the broken thumb and give them what he can give them in rebounds, picking up charges. Okay. As we know, he's the leader of the charge brigade. And then little by little, as that thumb starts to heal, feels better, we hope to see his stroke come back. But this is a vital, vital piece to this Cavaliers team. Coming off the bench, ride him at the end of the game because of his experience, if he's the guy to go with with matchups. If not, he's done his job. You take him out, you put somebody else in that matches up better with the opposition. But this would be a huge loss if Kevin cannot get back to making shots the way he did. So therefore, yeah. if I were you, I'd be concerned with that part of it. All right, that doesn't make me feel any better. But he's one of the guys who's been injured, Mike. According to Spotrack, the Cavs have the fourth highest total number of games missed by injury so far this season. And I was stunned by that. Behind Orlando, Miami, and Memphis, although Memphis is playing great, only Evan Mobley and Isaac Okoro have played in the first 30 games. You mentioned injuries a bit ago. You said it. Injuries can derail things. Yet through these injuries, Mike, the Cavs have put together a pretty good record. 
should I be concerned about the injuries or have they played through them well enough that just keep your fingers crossed, they get healthy and they're good to go. You're concerned about the injuries if they're season ending injuries or injuries where they're saying they'll be back in three months, because that means they're missing an awful lot of games, which can be a huge deficit. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't mention the Clippers name in there as far as games missed, because they have had guys out every game last night. Two nights ago, they had six of their best players miss the game against Phoenix. How do you play a game without your top six players? Yeah, I don't know. Now, they were down 33 points in the game to Phoenix. Didn't help that Phoenix is coming in on a five-game losing streak. That Phoenix finally had their starting backcourt together of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But regardless... The Clippers had to go up against them without six of their top players. They cut that 33-point deficit back to 14 with about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So they had a legitimate shot, but then they ran out of gas and uh, Phoenix wound up taking over the win. But this is something every team is dealing with, the injury factor, but it's how serious is the injury? How much time are they going to miss? We see Denver with Murray coming back finally, and what a loss that was for that Denver team from when he hurt that knee to just coming back recently. You can't replace those kind of guys. Those are special guys to your team. Okay, let me catch my breath. I've got one more concern. We've talked about minutes a little bit. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland checked out the numbers going into Friday night's games. They were in the top 16 in the NBA in minutes played per game by a player. Mitchell was sixth overall, Mike, almost 37 minutes a game. Darius was 16th at 36 minutes a game. Now, I I checked it out a little bit. Cavs are actually one of five teams that have two or three players in the top 20 of minutes. It's Brooklyn, Toronto, Portland, Boston, the Cavaliers. So five teams have 11 guys in the top 20 of minutes played. So that clearly makes me think it's a strategy and a philosophy that, you know, those teams feel that they must play these guys to go. I'm still, though, a little concerned. You know, Donovan is not the biggest guy in the world, and Darius isn't as big as he is. Should I be concerned about all these minutes? Because I don't want him to get beat up. I don't want him to get run down. Help me, Mike. I believe, and I don't have an update, obviously, as we speak right now, I believe every one of those five teams that you mentioned have winning records, either at the 500 mark or above the 500 mark. I, I can't remember. Toronto's right now. real close. Everybody else I, does. You're correct. I was just going to say, I can't remember Toronto's yep. record. That Toronto was, was a game under when I checked those numbers. So the coaches obviously realized for our, our team to be able to win games in the NBA, I have to have certain guys play more minutes than perhaps – critics would say I should be playing him. However, having said that, you go back to last season when the Cavs got off to the terrific start they did last season. Yep. Coach Bickerstaff not only started a big front line, he was only playing eight players back then. Eight players were getting the majority of the minutes in the beginning of the season last season. And players number nine and ten, they maybe they got three minutes or four minutes. But I had noticed, and we talked about it, Jeff, that 
Ah, coaches decided I have eight guys that right now I feel comfortable with, and that's who I'm going with. And they won a lot of games at the beginning of the season last year. But they wore out, Mike. Or or what else might it have been? I know there were some injuries. That's about my concern because the, they didn't finish strong. Well, they had some injuries that really hurt them. Uh, now that goes back to my other concern. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I know. <laughs> like, you're worrying way too much. You you could lose hair over that. Too late. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to worry. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, overall, you've made me feel a lot better there. Thank you. I'm happy. So thank you for all of that. I, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> uh, this is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. Some things around the NBA are popping up. You're going to see this all the time. But it it was terrible to see Steph Curry hurt his shoulder the other day. And the good news, it happened Wednesday against the Pacers, who the Cavaliers played then on Friday. Uh, the good news is no surgery is necessary. But the prognosis right now, Mike, they say expected to be out weeks. Well, if you're Golden State and your 30-point-a-game score is out, and he's going to be out weeks and you're right around 500, which is where they are right now. And, you know, they're, they're not sitting on the top of the Western conference. You got to be extremely concerned about your situation and losing your star player right now for a period of time. What does golden state do to overcome? Can they? They had a deep roster a year ago. Their, their roster was really good and it was very deep. They've lost a couple of those guys. And to me, perhaps the biggest loss for them was Gary Payton the third, because of what he gave them defensively, his toughness, his mindset, um, knew his role, knew his job, came in and did it for him. Uh, I would think that they are waiting on, I don't want to say disappointed, because I can't speak for another team, but Wiseman probably has not reached the level that most outsiders like us thought he would be at at this point. But how do you know with an 18 or 19-year-old coming into the NBA right. how long it's going to take them? Is it going to be 22 years old, 24 years old? How many games of experience? They've sent them down to play games in the G League. So having said all of that, you're losing a premier player, a Hall of Fame player, who's led you to these championships and he's going to be out for a while. So you rely on other guys stepping up. Uh, Clay Thompson's going to have to elevate his game. Poole is going to have to be a little bit better than he's been in contributing. And everyone else is going to have to step up uh, to show exactly what they can do, how they can contribute. And you go from there. Uh, the good news, as you said, no surgery necessary. Yeah. And in the back of Steve Kerr's mind, I'm going to try and be a mind reader right now. He's probably saying, Steph could use a couple weeks off where his legs, his body, the rest of it, because he plays so many minutes. We count on him for so much. And, and he's 34. Though, he's yeah, 34 and right not now. getting younger, right? And, and here he is now. This happened. Let's hope it heals well. He comes back well. And then he has fresh legs ready to go again when he comes back in whatever the amount of time is that he needs to recover. 
In our last basketball goal, we talked about the Eastern Conference in the West right now, Mike. And I think this is fascinating. Uh, as, as we're doing this, Memphis in first place. And Memphis, everybody thought Memphis would be you know, near the top of the West. New Orleans has stepped up. Right now, the Pelicans are second in the West. Denver, a good team with Michael Malone as head coach, sitting third. Then you have the next three, Phoenix, who, of course, everybody expected to be there. And Portland and Sacramento, who I don't think people thought would probably be in the top six right now. But those are your top six. But it's it's jumbled up. Every team in the West within 10 games of first place, all 15 of them. And 11 teams are within six games. But I, I think it's pretty cool that New Orleans is up there right now. Denver has its act together, as we I think a lot of people expected. But Portland and Sacramento as well, Mike. You doing Clipper games, you've seen those teams more than I have, more than other folks here. Uh, in, in the Cleveland area have seen them. Do you like what's happening in the West right now? Because, man, does it look competitive. Well, you talk about the wild, wild West. Here it is right now. And the names you mentioned, who would have thought after last season that you're going to see Portland with home court advantage right now if the playoffs started today? Who thought that Sacramento, okay, who hasn't had a 50-win season since when? Pages Stoyakovich of Vladi yeah. Divots with Chris playing. Weber. Yeah, I mean it's it's unreal how the balance has changed. The the Memphis squad. Look, Memphis has done a lot of this without John Morant because he was out with the injuries that he's had. So these mean that they are they're deep rosters, players who can step up, fill in. The GMs have done a very good job of putting these rosters together. The coaches have done a great job in manipulating their lineups, playing the right people, playing the style of play that fits them best, and enabling them to be, as you mentioned, in a Western Conference race that you scratch your head right now because there are so many of the elite teams. Uh, how about a team that's got a Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and a mm. LeBron James on it? I don't think I heard you mention them with those names there. So funny. How, I didn't. Yeah. How wild is the West right now? <laughs> it's I I'm anxious to see how it plays out because there's, there's a lot of talent spread throughout that entire conference and there's no telling who steps up and, and maybe who falls off a little bit. A couple of things happened earlier in the week, Mike. And I, I looked at both of them and I think they happened on the same night. And I, I just thought, are we past that or are we not past this? And let me explain. Uh, Minnesota against Utah. So Rudy Gobert with the Timberwolves going up against his former team. It's late in the game. Minnesota has the lead. Minnesota has the ball. They're running out the clock. Utah with some token pressure on the ball. But they threw it to Rudy Gobert, who's standing under the basket by himself. As time's, run, time's running out, the, the game's under control. And Rudy put it in. So by the time he gets to like half court, the game's over but his former jazz teammates aren't real happy and there is some minor scuffling going on and there's some yelling and screaming and they're not real happy that he put that basket in at the end of the game when they were up. And then Zion Williamson against Phoenix for the Pelicans, they've got the game. The ball comes out loose as time's running out. Zion's in the open court by himself and he goes in and does like a 360 windmill dunk and everybody gets all excited and they win the game. And Phoenix isn't happy. And Chris Paul comes over and he's yelling at Zion. 
and you know the coaches are having to be pushing players away and everything else and words are exchanged and and i just thought aren't, aren't we past that you know if you lose by eight you lose by 10 okay and i understand the you're disrespecting the game and all that but mike the nba might be the biggest show me league you know look at me players are marketing themselves the entertainment factor people loved zion doing that dunk should the other teams have gotten all upset about that or were they right in being upset at a basket late in a game when it didn't matter i think it's a very young nba that you're talking about i think there are a number of immature players that you're talking about if you get beat badly, stop crying. Play better. Don't get beat that badly. If you leave a man open underneath the basket that is seven feet, two inches tall, or seven feet, three inches tall, and you have no one next to him guarding him, then you deserve to get dunked on. Otherwise, put somebody next to him and stop the ball from being passed in there. And these people who dribble over the half-court line, 30 seconds left of the game, 35 seconds left of the game, the game is over, 10-point differential. They dribble over the half-court line, and they take a turnover because right. they dribble the clock out. Then they put the ball down the floor. They've turned it over. The other team takes it out on the side. Then they throw it in, and then they dribble the clock out. Shoot the basketball at that point. Now, the only way maybe you can be upset, you know, if you're betting on a game and this is going to make a big difference <laughs> yeah. on it, yeah. That's one thing that gets you scratching your head thinking about. But other than that, stop being a baby. Play the game. It's a 48-minute game. If you don't want to guard somebody in the last 30, 45 seconds, that's your problem. If your coach tells you don't guard them, that's your coach's problem. But don't get mad at the other team if you want to leave them alone. What are they supposed to look stupid? Go bear supposed to catch the ball under the rim and then go, oh, no, I'm going to dribble it back out to half court. Come on. Stop making something over something that's nothing. I agree with you 110% on that. But I'm surprised at the reaction of the Jazz, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Jazz in this situation and of the Suns. Because in today's NBA, Mike, it just doesn't seem like that fits. Because the NBA, and I don't say this in a disparaging way, I say it in a great way. It's a show. It's entertainment. And that's why arenas are full and why people are watching on television and people are loving these young stars. So I, I, it almost seems like, hey, wait a minute. You want all that, but you don't want a guy to put the ball in the basket. It didn't make any sense to me. Stop playing better in the beginning of the game and stop complaining about something that's really irrelevant in a 10 or 12-point win, whether or not the guy does a 360 double pump slam dunk backwards, okay, or another guy just stands under there, nobody's guarding him, you're passing the ball, and he decides to dunk it. So what? That's your problem. You stop playing defense, and you want him to stop playing offense because you made that decision? Some guys play, as they say, till the final buzzer. So play till the final buzzer. You've been watching the Eastern Conference and doing Cavs work, the Western Conference doing Clippers work. Any team jump out at you, Mike, that you think, this is a team that, wait, if I'm looking down the road and I'm looking into June, this team still might be playing. Who's caught your eye? Well, I would have said 
initially Boston and Milwaukee. And then Boston goes on a road trip and winds up losing the, the first two games of the road trip that they go on. And Milwaukee now has been getting a beating from, it uh, seems like every other night, uh, Boston will finally get their big man back, it seems, their center. Uh, should be back for him now. Uh, Milwaukee had such an incredible run early on without Middleton. Then Middleton rejoined them. They haven't played nearly as well because it's integrating a vital piece into this team that is so good. And he wasn't around for the beginning of the season. So now the coach has to work him back in. The players have to figure it out again. Where do we get Middleton the ball? When does he get a shot after Giannis gives up a shot? All of that's going on. So those two teams that I thought were the dominant teams have now taken a step back. That doesn't mean boss is not going to be really good again, especially when the center comes back. Doesn't mean Milwaukee cannot regain the championship character. To me, I'm looking at these teams that are stepping up now that we didn't notice early on. Sacramento Mm -hmm. finally buying into what Michael Brown has been preaching and teaching along the way has turned into a very formidable opponent who scores a lot of points. You mentioned about Memphis, about New Orleans, what they're doing. Will the Clippers ever be able to put their main guys on the floor for a stretch of games that will give them a chance to put a six, seven, eight-game winning streak together? They certainly have the talent. It's just that the talent has to be able to play in the games so that they can get wins to put that kind of run together. A lot of teams emerging. Now, how about Orlando? All of a sudden, Orlando playing outstanding basketball, winning games. They couldn't smell a win for the first you know, 18 that's games. That's true. Yeah. So uh, that's what's happening now. The league young kids are growing up. They're getting more experience. Remember, a lot of these youngsters that are in the league right now, they are at or past the halfway point in what would have been their college season. True. And we're not even up, what, the third mark of the NBA season? Yeah. So it's all stuff to think about in the growing, maturing process. Outstanding, sir. Let's do it again in a few days. Thanks so much for allowing me to be part of Pure Gold. (laughs) He's Fratello. I'm Phelps. And this has been Basketball Gold. We'll talk to you next time.